All right, thank you kids and young adults for your help there. <clears throat> this is our last sermon in our Advent series and um, you may remember that uh, in our first one we talked about Christmas actually celebrating the incarnation which is God becoming a, a human being. So he was both fully God and fully human which is hard to get your head around and I don't think anyone ever has got their head around it but it's something that we have to accept in faith. And there's lots of other things in creation I don't get like the wave particle duality of light so I don't get that either but I accept it on faith. <clears throat> I'll explain that if you're interested <laughs> a bit more. <clears throat> Second year physics. We also um, saw that Jesus was the full and final revelation of the character of God. And that's why John wrote that the law came through Moses, and that the law was like a map. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, who is our guide. And if you have a guide, you don't need a map anymore. And last week, Sarah reflected on how important hospitality is in both the Old and the New Testaments. And the incarnation made possible the greatest act of hospitality ever in human history because God was both the host and the meal. And we talked about communion uh, in that light as, as God putting on a meal and being the host and the meal, which is really an amazing concept to, to, to grasp. And today we're going to build on the revelation of the character of God and what the incarnation tells us about the goodness of God. Now, you might uh, have been bombarded with marketing uh, in the last few weeks. You probably have had stuff come in your inbox, um, stuff on TV. Um, our TV doesn't work, so we've, we've skipped all that, which is quite nice, actually, to be fair. Um, but everywhere you look, there's someone trying to get you to buy their stuff. But when we look at the Christmas story, I don't think we can say that God was really into marketing. Because here, here was the most amazing thing that he'd ever done in the history of the world. And he, who does he tell? He tells Mary and Joseph, and they might have told a few of their family. And then he tells some shepherds. And that's it. Directly, right? Directly in the form of angels. And that's not huge marketing, really, is it? That wouldn't work these, these days. Mind you, if you did see an angel, then it would be like, wow. And if you're thinking, what about the wise men? God didn't tell them directly, did he? They only saw a star. They were observing a star, but God didn't appear to them directly in the, or, or an angel. But back to the shepherds, how cool would it have been to be one of those guys? To have an angel appear to you and then just, just when you're out in, in creation looking after your sheep and suddenly, boom, there was a, a sky full of angels. I envy those guys. I'd love to see an angel. Maybe some of you have seen an angel. <laughs> I haven't. I've been wondering this, this week why God told them. Why did, why did God told, tell the shepherds as opposed to anyone else? And I, I, I did a, a bit of research and, and some have suggested that in Jesus' day shepherds were the bottom of the rung socially. But it doesn't really stack up when you look at the Bible. Because Abraham was a shepherd, and Isaac was a shepherd, and David was a shepherd. So all the fathers of Israel 
for shepherds. So I don't think, I don't think you could say that in, in, in ancient Israelite culture, shepherds would have been looked down on. Because all their fathers were shepherds. The, the, the fathers of the nation, the people that they held as heroes, were shepherds. And in the New Testament, Jesus frequently referred to himself as a shepherd in the New Testament in a positive way. And he wouldn't have done that if, if shepherding was viewed negatively. <clears throat> so I was thinking maybe, you know, when I started my working career, I started picking berries. Strawberries and black um, um, blueberries. I'll never forget how terrible it was picking blueberries. I earned as much to get out to the blueberry farm as it paid for the gas to get me back home again. So it only lasted three days. <laughs> not, <laughs> not my most epic of starts in the uh, picking scene. But I'm thinking many, many of us might have started our, our working careers <laughs> picking blueberries or strawberries or something. And we know how hard work it is, right? And we're thankful that we don't have to pick anything anymore. Well, I am. I'm stoked that I don't have to pick strawberries. Man, what a killer. So I'm thinking maybe shepherding was a real tough but honourable occupation in Jesus' day. And their testimony would be believed. And when you read the scriptures, you might have heard that in the reading today. Um, it says in Luke that all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They didn't say, man, what have you guys been smoking? Right? So, so it, was a, it was a testimony that people believed. They took. They accepted. So that's direct publicity. But in another sense, Jesus' birth had the greatest indirect publicity. I mean, who gets a star? Who gets a star when they're born? I didn't. That was in Africa. And this star was available for the whole world to see, night after night, as long as it existed. But only a few wise men recognised what it meant. Right? So the star was, was anyone could see it at any, any time of the night. But only three, of, well I shouldn't say three because we're not sure exactly how many wise men there were. But we assume they're true because there's three gifts. But only those guys recognised what it meant. The rest of the world either missed it or didn't understand what the star meant. And I kind of wondered how many times is God speaking to us indirectly now? And, and we, don't, we don't get it. We miss it. Maybe it's because we're too busy watching TV or checking our Facebook accounts or something like that. But I was really, uh, you know, when, when I thought about that, how amazing it is that this, this special star was in the sky for the whole world to see, but only a few guys actually got it. And this leads us to our first point today, that God very rarely directly sits down and explains to us what's going on in our lives. Maybe, like me, there's been certain times in, in your life where you've wished that God would have sat down and explained to you what's going on. Hey, uh, Graham, uh, don't worry about this. It was, you know, it was a tough experience, but don't panic. It's all good. Uh, good things are going to happen. Got everything under control. I'm doing some amazing things in you. Just trust me. He didn't do that. He didn't explain to me what was going on. It's only with hindsight that I can see 
what God was doing, how God led me, what God did in me. And uh, one of the longest periods in my life was my 20 years of singleness. And uh, many of you here helped me through that time, which I thank you. But what was God's purpose for me? He, he didn't sit down in that time and say, hey, don't panic, Graham. It's all good, mate. Got a lovely young lady lined up for you. And that's true, right? But he didn't tell me. <laughs> so what was God's purpose for me? So through that trial, he moved me from being a place where singleness was agony to a place where singleness was okay. I was, I was actually starting to enjoy life in my early 40s after a long period of not enjoying life. He taught me that my heart, uh, he taught my heart that life was in him, not in marriage. He taught me that no human being could carry the weight of my happiness, only he could. And in doing so, God became my place of refuge and strength. And that heart knowledge helps me have a, a healthy marriage today. So all throughout that time, I had to trust in God that he knew what was doing, what he was doing. And that he had my best interest at heart. And man, there were many times that I doubted that. <laughs> many times. But God in his grace gave me uh, the courage to and the strength to continue. So why doesn't God explain directly to us what he's doing? When you, you know, it'd be nice if we're all like the shepherds, right? And we all got angels. That'd be awesome. But it doesn't work like that for the vast majority of us. The reason is because he wants us to learn to trust him. And the greater the trial, the more difficult trusting is. And that's why we admire and respect those heroes of the Bible like Abraham, Joseph, Moses, especially Job. Man, when you read the, read the book of Job, you think, man, how did that guy come through that trial with his, his love and his faith in God intact? Incredible. In, inspiring. And the essence of faith is to trust that God is good. I've come, I come to the realisation that faith is essentially trusting that God is good. What is the essence of doubt? We start to doubt that he's good. Think about it. What's the first thing to go when something bad happens to us? What's the first thing to go in terms of our faith? It's like, oh, is, is God really good? Is God actually going to look after me through this situation? So it's our confidence that God is good and that he cares about us. That's the first thing to go when something bad happens. Well, it is for me anyway. And think about the Garden of Eden. The serpent managed to convince Adam and Eve that God wasn't good and that he was holding out on them. He didn't want them to have knowledge of good and evil. And to have knowledge of good and evil was a good thing, according to the serpent. So Adam and Eve didn't trust God. They thought that God wasn't good. He was holding out on them. So how do we deal with these doubts when bad stuff happens to us? Because it happens regularly for me. It's not just, it wasn't just one thing, right? It's a continuous thing. One thought that helped me was that if God didn't exist, then my suffering and pain had no meaning at all. 
And so if, if God doesn't exist, actually there's no good and evil. There. It, it just is. Life is just is. And does he be thinking about if God's not completely good? Because that's not flash either. Because maybe he's just like, oh, I love you, Graham, but, you know. So our only hope for, for this life is to believe that God is good and that he has our best interest at heart. It's our only hope for meaning for, for any kind of suffering that we go through. <clears throat> but the Incarnation has a lot to say about this. The Incarnation proves that God is good. Why is this? It's because there is an inseparable link between love and suffering. We all know that's true. The more you love something, the more you're willing to suffer for it, aren't you? And if you don't really value it, oh hey, I'm not going to suffer for it at all. It's a trivial example, but I'm kind of amazed at the pain some people go through to enter Ironman competitions and things like that. We, we drove down to Taup, uh, Palmerston North a few weeks ago, and there's all these guys doing the round Taupo race. And I was driving down the hills, teeming with rain, the wind was howling, and these guys were battling on their bikes up this big hill. And I thought, man, those guys are nuts. <laughs> Absolutely nuts. And Sarah said, oh, that's awesome. I want to do that one day. <laughs> she said, oh, I'll be support crew. <laughs> I ain't going to do that. Unless to get one of those electric bikes with a motor on it. That's crazy. But on a more serious note, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Which he then did, didn't he? And this is why John wrote, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Now, a person that loves enough to lay their life down for someone else is good, right? They're a good, we, we would trust that person. If they're willing to lay down their life for someone else, we would say, wow, we would trust that person. We would say they are good. And so if God became a man in Jesus at Christmas, and then he proceeded to lay down his life for us, then this is irrefutable evidence that God is good. And I think this is the lens through which we always need to look at our own suffering through. Especially when we don't understand what's going on. We just need to look at that lens. Jesus became a man and he died for us. For us. And that makes him good. And if he's good, we can trust him. We just need to keep our eyes on him, even when we don't understand what's going on. So just bringing it home, what are the issues that are causing you difficulty at the moment. Maybe there's nothing causing you difficulty at the moment and for that we would praise God. But if there is, this Christmas I want to encourage you to remember that the fact that God became one of us is evidence that he is good. And no matter what you are facing, when those doubts start coming up in your heart, focus, meditate on Christmas. Meditate on the fact that he became one of us. 
Shall we pray? Lord, we do thank you that you became one of us at Christmas. We thank you that this is evidence that you are good, that you are concerned for us, that you love us. Lord, irrefutable evidence. Lord, remind us of this, this beautiful fact when we are tempted to doubt that you are good. Holy Spirit, I just invite you into this space and ask you to move. Invite you to move in people's hearts. If you have any issue, invite you to lift that before the Lord now. And look into his face. And see the love that he has for you. And give him that issue, that, that burden difficulty. Lord, thank you for being here. Thank you that you're always with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.